This is the Notorious Bakersfield Podcast. I'm Robert Peterson, the host and creator of this podcast that takes a look back at some of Bakersfield's most notorious crimes, events, and characters. What has become known as the Charles Manson murders were a series of brutal crimes that shocked the world in the late 1960s. Led by Charles Manson, a charismatic and manipulative cult leader, a group of his followers, known as the Manson family, committed a series of brutal killings in Southern California. These horrifying events included the murders of actress Sharon Tate and four others on the night of August 8, 1969. Then, two nights later, in a separate killing spree, the Manson family struck again, killing a middle-aged husband and wife. These crimes left an indelible mark on society. Killings caused widespread fear and panic. Since this week is the 54th anniversary of these awful crimes, I wanted to cover it and to inform you about a little-known connection this story has to Kern County and Bakersfield. Charles Manson famously died here in Bakersfield in 2017. But there's another lesser-known Kern County-Bakersfield connection, one you'll hear about on this episode of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. This is the Bakersfield Connection to Helter Skelter. Charles Manson's sinister influence began in the late 1960s when he formed a cult-like group known as the Manson Family. He used manipulative tactics and a combination of drugs and psychological conditioning to gain control over his mostly young, impressionable followers. Late on the night of August 8, 1969, Manson instructed four of his followers, Susan Atkins, Patricia Krenwinkel, Leslie Van Houten, and Tex Watson, to carry out a heinous crime at the home of Sharon Tate and her husband, director Roman Polanski. At the time, Sharon Tate was eight and a half months pregnant. The group arrived at the Tate-Polanski residence in the Benedict Canyon neighborhood of Los Angeles, where they encountered the actress and her friends, Jay Sebring, Wojtek Frykowski, Abigail Folger, and a young man who just happened to be visiting, named Stephen Parent. In a brutal and merciless assault, Manson's followers attacked the victims, stabbing and shooting them multiple times. Followers wrote pig on the front door using the victim's blood. Manson believed that these murders would somehow incite a race war he called Helter Skelter. The discovery of the crime scene at the Tate Polanski residence the morning of August 9th shocked everyone. It was a horrific and sensational story, not just in Hollywood, but across the world. 
Fueling this was the fact that Sharon Tate was a young actress with a bright and promising future. In a scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religious rite, five persons, including actress Sharon Tate, were found dead at the home of Miss Tate and her husband, screen director Roman Polyansky. Miss Tate, who starred in Valley of the Dolls, was eight months pregnant and was found in a bikini-type nightgown with a rope around her neck attached to the body of a man. Among the other victims were Hollywood hairstylist Jay Sebring and coffee heiress Abigail Folger. Authorities would allow no one in an unofficial capacity inside the posh $200,000 home in the hills overlooking Los Angeles. Polyansky, who directed Rosemary's Baby and other films of suspense, reportedly is in Europe. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines cut. The bodies had been dead about 12 hours. They were discovered this morning by a maid who ran screaming to neighbors. One officer summed up the murders when he said, In all my years, I have never seen anything like this before. Almost 25 hours later, early in the morning of August 10th, 1969, two more people became the victims of this cult. Leno and Rosemary LaBianca. For a deeper insight into this part of the story, I sought the expertise of my friend Scott Michaels, a Hollywood historian. Scott possesses an extensive knowledge of this case. He knows this story better than anybody else I know, backwards and forwards. Scott co-wrote the 2009 documentary Six Degrees of Helter Skelter. Filmmaker Quentin Tarantino consulted with Scott Michaels for the making of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Here's Scott Michaels describing the events leading up to Leno and Rosemary LaBianca's deaths. Well, Mr. and Mrs. LaBianca had both been married before. They both had children from other relationships. They had no children together. Uh, Mrs. LaBianca had a son by the name of Frank, who was about 15, and a daughter who, whose name was Susan, who was around the same age as the girls in, in the Manson family, uh, early 20s. And, uh, and Frank uh, Jr., the 15-year-old, the had a friend, uh, Saffy. Jim Saffy was his name, and his family owned a, uh, a cottage, like a, a cabin in Lake Isabella and sort of on on the lake or they they were nearby a little boat, boat launching area i'm sure there are several of them there and uh on that tuesday night before the murders uh mr labianca drove to uh lake isabel and dropped off frank the 15 year old and also their boat they had a speed boat the labiancas owned and they left him there for uh the week now that saturday night uh the 9th of august mr and mrs labianca returned to lake isabella to pick frank up and bring him home and they had uh, mrs labianca's daughter with him uh with them as well uh, i guess just along for the ride well they say that she was having some problems and they were trying to sort of smooth things over in the car which is why they went together anyway um so they got to lake isabella and uh they were going to bring frank home but but frank wanted to stay uh, he was having a good time with his friends and his friends, uh, decided they would, or they said to be happy to bring him home the next day. So Mr. and Mrs. LaBianca uh, left Lake Isabella. He was driving a green 68, uh, Thunderbird and Lou and Susan was in the back seat of the car and, uh, they headed back to Los Angeles. So on August 9th, 1969, the LaBiancas and Rosemary's daughter drove from Los Angeles to Lake Isabella here in Kern County. They picked up their boat and towed it back to Los Angeles that same night, presumably 
passing through Bakersfield on their journey. After they dropped off Susan at her apartment, uh, they stopped at the corner of Hillhurst and uh, and Franklin and bought a newspaper at a gas station and the racing forms for the next day. Mr. Fokianos, who owned that newsstand or operated that newsstand, was the last person to see them alive aside from the killers. And the headline of the paper he sold them uh, was announcing Sharon Tate's murder. I mean, they had heard the murders on the radio on the way in, so they were quite shocked by it because... Not only because it was a shocking event, it was, of course, it was horrific, but the LaBiancas over the past year, their house had been broken into several times. Uh, nothing major was ever taken. Sometimes just things were kind of strewn about. They knew someone had gone through their things. One time they got home and the dog was out. Uh, they knew. I mean, it wasn't like a, could we have left the dog out? You know, it wasn't. They knew the dog uh, was inside when they left and they came out, they came home and the dog was home. So there's, there is evidence. I mean, Mrs. LaBianca wrote someone a letter saying, and it happened again the other day. So that night when they got home, Mr. LaBianca parked, it was too late for him to maneuver the, the boat back up the driveway because it's a steep driveway. So they parked on the street below and they walked up um, the, uh, the drive into, uh, into the house. And they were probably there, I don't know, I would say an hour. And Mr. LaBianca changed into his pajamas and Mrs. LaBianca was in the uh, back bedroom. He was actually reading the racing forms on the uh, sofa and I guess he dozed off. And at that point, Manson uh, had parked out front to the house next door and walked up the driveway and hopped over that side fence and let himself in through the unlocked door of the LaBianca's house. So he woke Mr. LaBianca up promised them that no harm would come to them. All they wanted to do was steal a few things, just just relax and sit on the sofa. They got Mrs. LaBianca into the uh onto the sofa as well, put pillowcases over their heads, promised them that they'd be okay. And uh Manson left. When Charles Manson exited, that left Tex Watson, Patricia Krinwinkle, and Leslie Van Houten to do the dirty work. They took after they tied them up, they took Mrs. LaBianca into the back bedroom and they were going through. I think Krenwinkel was going through the kitchen looking for knives. They could hear him in the silverware drawer and Mr. LaBianca, they told him to shut up, but he wouldn't do it. And he says, you're you're, you're going to kill me, aren't you? And I'm not sure if that was if it was answered or not, but he knew what was going to happen to him. So he panicked. That's when he started panicking. And uh, and then so text tech, you know, was he was already on the sofa, but started stabbing him. He was panicking. He was Mr. LaBianca was screaming for his life. Then Mrs. LaBianca in the back bedroom heard it. What are you doing to my husband? Mrs. LaBianca had a, a pillowcase over her face, over her head, and they had tied it weirdly with a, an electrical cord, a lamp cord. But the lamp was still attached to it. So Mrs. LaBianca was in the back bedroom. And all she could do was pick up this lamp cord because she couldn't see anything. She had a pillowcase over it. So she's swinging the lamp cord, trying to hit anyone who came anywhere near her. The two girls were in there with her and uh, they couldn't do anything about it. So they called, you know, they said, Tex, we can't do anything. This woman is out of control. Um, we can't get in the room because she's swinging this lamp. And Tex went in and 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 he, he stabbed her. I mean, she was stabbed uh, a total with Leslie's participation, a total of 41 times, six of those wounds were, uh, were, were fatal wounds. And Mr. LaBianca, 26 stab or puncture wounds. They left a knife in his uh, neck, a, uh, a fork in his stomach after carving the word war 
into his stomach. And then, um, and then Krenwinkel took a piece of newspaper, a piece of the sports page that Mr. LaBianca was actually reading and uh, dipped it in Mr. LaBianca's blood. And she wrote the word rise on a wall. She wrote uh, the words uh, death to pigs. And then on the refrigerator door, she wrote the words helter skelter, misspelled helter skelter. And then she, uh, she walked over to Mr. LaBianca through the newspaper, the bloody newspaper down, twanged the, the, the fork that was in his belly. They all giggled. They all grabbed food from the refrigerator and they left and hitchhiked back to the ranch. When Rosemary LaBianca's son, Frank, returned from Lake Isabella to his family's home the next night, he noticed something unusual. His stepfather's boat was parked on the street. That was uncharacteristic for Mr. LaBianca. He was pretty particular about that boat. So he walked up the driveway, and it was dark. It was 8 o'clock. And he noticed that all the lights were, uh, the lights were off and the shades were drawn. So the car was there. They were obviously home, but something wasn't right. He knocked on the window. Nobody answered. Instead of going in, he walked a couple of blocks to a burger joint, called his sister Susan, her and her biker boyfriend, picked him up from there, let themselves into the LaBianca's house. And Joe Dorgan, the biker, told the both Frank and Susan to stay back. He went into the room, found Mr. LaBianca. Instead of touching anything, he just ran out the back door and said, let's get out of here now. The three of them ran down the driveway and ran to the apartment building across the street. Friday night in Los Angeles, a movie actress and four of her friends were murdered. The circumstances were lurid. The movie actress was Sharon Tate, 26. The others were a male hairdresser, the heiress to a coffee fortune, a writer, and a boy just out of high school. And a short time later, not far away, a middle-aged couple was found murdered in similar circumstances. The latest murders were discovered during the night. The bodies of a man and his wife found in their home. Lino LaBianca, a supermarket owner, and his wife had both been stabbed to death, repeated stab wounds. On his body, the word war had been carved in the chest. Then, with blood, the killer had scrawled on a refrigerator door the words, death to pigs. Hoods had been placed over the heads of both victims. With daylight, police searched the premises. They found no evidence of robbery, no suggestion of motive baffling crime and bizarre. The bizarre circumstances of those two murders last night were strikingly similar to the five murders at a home in Bel Air a few miles away two days before. This was at the home of movie director Roman Polanski, and it was his wife, Sharon Tate, who was one of the victims. She too had been stabbed, repeated stab wounds. One of the victims had a hood placed over his head, and the word pig was written in blood on the door. And police today could but speculate whether these two crimes this weekend, so grotesquely similar, had been done by the same person, or perhaps news reports of the first crime had inspired somebody else to do the second. These murders were shocking. They captured the attention of the nation and the world. 
the twisted motives behind the killings and Manson's manipulative control over his followers exposed the dark side of counterculture of the time. Manson and several of his followers were arrested later in 1969 and subsequently put on trial. In 1971, Manson, Watson, Atkins, Krenwinkel, and Van Houten were all convicted and sentenced to death. However, their sentences were later commuted to life in prison when California abolished the death penalty. The Manson murders left an indelible mark on American history and pop culture. They continue to be the subject of numerous books, movies, documentaries, and discussions about the nature of evil, the psychology of cults, and the impact of media sensationalism on crime reporting. The other Bakersfield connection, the more well-known footnote to this story, Charles Manson died here in 2017. After falling ill at Corcoran State Prison, he was transported to Mercy Hospital for treatment. The cult leader eventually succumbed to cancer. Charles Manson, who led the Manson family California Commune in the 1960s, was found guilty of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder for the death of seven people. He was sent to Corcoran State Prison in 1971, fascinated a generation of Americans, and captured headlines for decades. Just last year, it was revealed Manson was in failing health, reportedly checked into a Bakersfield hospital for intestinal issues, rumored to be battling cancer. His latest health issue once again brought him to a Bakersfield hospital Hospital, the final place he would remain in custody before his death. As tonight, the man who was one of the country's most infamous mass murderers, dead in Kern County. Charles Manson, Susan Atkins, and Linda Kasabian are all now deceased. Patricia Krenwinkel and Tex Watson are still incarcerated. Leslie Van Houten was paroled this year, July 2023. There's so much more information out there about the Manson family's crime spree. I wanted to focus on this trivial connection to Kern County and Bakersfield. There's an aerial picture of the LaBianca's home taken shortly after their bodies were discovered. It shows the car with the boat hitched to it parked on the street. I'll post that picture to the Notorious Bakersfield social media pages. A special thanks to Scott Michaels for his insight into this story. If you're interested in celebrity crimes and scandals, check out his YouTube channel, Dearly Departed Tours, and his website, findadeath.com. This is Robert Peterson. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. I'll be back next week, next Tuesday, with another notorious Bakersfield story. Until then, stay safe, stay out of trouble. Don't become a future episode of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. I'll see you right back here next week.